0: Hello and welcome to FIDACE Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm coming to you from Northeast Ohio, Hinkley, Ohio to be exact. FIDACE means trust, faith, belief, and truth and that's what I'm going to bring forward in these podcasts through discussions on all the various topics of today, uh, hearing all sides of the issues and that's what we want to do is bring forward faith, truth, belief, and trust and that's the goal. Thank you for joining me. I I appreciate you being here. Uh, Please find us on the various social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Just look under either my name, again, Jerry Serino, or under the name Fides, F-I-D-E-S, Fides Podcast. We'd love to have you a part of our social media network. Uh, My first guest today on this episode is the current Lake County Commissioner, Jerry Serino. He's also running for state senate in the Northeast Ohio uh, portion of Ohio. Uh, So you know him as uh, our commissioner and our senate candidate. I know him as dad. So he's my first guest and we're going to talk about a variety of issues, uh, including uh, some of the major issues of today that we're all facing and some of the things that he's uh, had been involved in, in as commissioner and senate candidate and even prior. Okay, three, two, one. Okay, Dad, thanks for um, being on here. This is my inaugural podcast, the first one, actually the first of three that I'm going to release at the same time. Uh, so you get to be my first, uh, my first guest. Um, so I actually want to go back and start uh, to what my memory is 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 back in uh, I was in high school and I think we were outside doing mulch on highland drive in willoughby and mr anderson rode his bike over that's my memory it could be wrong um with some of the specifics but he came over and talked to you about running for he was running for mayor and he wanted you involved so is that accurate is that correct
1: well first of all jerry it's a, it's a pleasure to be part of your inaugural um podcast here so it's a it's a, a privilege for me to be sharing some of my thoughts with you and your and your listeners um so the story about Dave Anderson, or, you know, who became Mayor Anderson for 26 years after that, uh, is a really great story because, as you indicated, we were out working on the, the front uh, uh, mulch uh, project that we were doing that Saturday, and uh, Dave Anderson came riding by on his bicycle, and we knew each other, and his wife and your mom went to school together, uh, and, um, but he was an insurance salesman, basically, at that time. And uh, he came by and he asked me, he said, you know, um, you're in marketing, aren't you? And of course, I was at the time. And he said, uh, you know, do you think you'd be willing to help me with my campaign uh, and use some marketing techniques that you're familiar with to help me get elected mayor of Willoughby? And I said, "Uh, gee, I've never done anything in politics before, but marketing is marketing, uh, I suppose. And I'd be happy to help you out. What other offices have you run for? And he looked at me and he hesitated and he said, well, I've never been elected, never run for office before. Uh, and I said, well, okay, um, let's, mm-hmm. let's get started. Uh, and it was just a, uh, just a tremendous, uh, I think it was about an eight month period of time from when we had that discussion. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we did a grassroots campaign, Jerry, and we, we knocked on doors. We had, um, you know, uh, yard signs that had, were in an unprecedented quantities around the whole city of Willoughby. And we were running against a, um, I think it was a 12-year incumbent mayor. So Mayor Ryan was very well known, uh, but he had some things going wrong in the city not the least of which was the uh, debacle at Lost Nation Road Repair, which shut off and cut off the north of Willoughby from the south of Willoughby for a very long time. So we had an unhappy population. They were open to a newer and younger candidate. We messaged uh, Dave's message of economic development mm-hmm. uh, very thoroughly, and uh, and he ended up, as I said, being mayor for 26 years.
0: Yeah, so I, it, it's kind of interesting that, you know, he was a you know, in a sense, a novice. I mean, would it, you know, he wasn't a career politician and here was a career politician. This is again, what I remember um, who, you know, no offense to him, but he didn't seem like he really did much. He was just kind of occupying the position and um, it took someone to say, Hey, you know, there's a lot that can be done. Let's do it. Um, And then of course he went on to win and I just saw he was appointed something new recently. Right,
1: he was just appointed. We appointed him to the uh, director of economic, of uh, actually the Port Authority, which is the economic development arm of the Lake County Commissioners. Yeah, no, of which, and he, of which I am one.
0: Yeah, and so you, um, you actually make it sound like a little bit uh, that you know we knew him vaguely. Obviously, we were close friends. His boys were good yeah. friends of mine um, for many, many years, and uh, went to high school together. Obviously, and. Um, so yeah, so it's a neat story and it actually kind of reminds me a lot of what's going on now where you have these career politicians of both parties you know forget you know policy or, or you know parties. You have career politicians and honestly, I not that they're certainly bad or anything like that, but, I, I always question and have a little bit of frustration with career politicians. So, you know, you your career was in business, and obviously I know the answer to a lot of these questions, but others don't. Um, you know, you started off, as you said, in marketing. And, um, so maybe go through that and kind of where you ended up prior to your current position as Lake County Commissioner.
1: Sure. Uh, well, the the first part of my career was in, in the marketing arena uh, in the industrial uh, electronics world. Uh, with uh, several local companies here in Cleveland that don't exist anymore because they've been acquired and or merged with other companies. So people wouldn't recognize the names unless they're about my age. But uh, it was a great opportunity to get some really good experience in marketing, you know, industrial products, you know, like motors, um, AC and DC motors and uh, variable speed drives for automation. And I really learned a lot about how the world was automating itself and using a lot of the intelligent devices that the companies I worked for uh, were producing uh, to control all of these automation processes that were, uh, were now coming into play uh, uh, around in- industry. Uh, I was recruited at a pretty young age. I think I was 29. I was recruited uh, over to um, a company in the medical field. Uh, it used to be called Picker X-Ray. It was founded in Cleveland. Uh, a mainstay of the Cleveland technical uh, medical environment and uh, I went there in uh, in marketing as well and did that for a number of years and worked my way up through uh, general manager of a division and then to executive vice president of global sales and service um, and I had uh, 37 international subsidiaries reporting to me uh, and of course that as you may remember involved a lot of world travel which mm-hmm. um, I'm happy those days are in my past Um, But the products that we were marketing at that time were uh, computed tomography scanners, CT scanners, as they're now called, and MRI scanners, uh, and other conventional x-ray equipment. So I really got a chance to get to understand the medical marketplace, medical device marketplace. And I I really stayed in that for a very, very long time uh, with several companies that uh, I uh, was uh, involved in as CEO. Um, So I've been CEO of four different medical device companies uh the the largest one being uh source one healthcare technologies right here in mentor ohio we had revenues of a billion 200 million and we were the largest radiology distributor uh, really in the world mm-hmm. uh and uh, i ran that uh for 3 years and we sold that to a competitor and then i moved on to some other medical areas in urology ophthalmology uh, and specialty distribution, mm-hmm. uh, along with medical information systems. So a, a kind of a very broad medical uh, device area. Bought and sold, per, I think, close to 23 companies uh, in that process. And uh, in um, uh, 2011, uh, I was running a company in Buffalo. I was sent there to rescue the company who was suffering from the ravages of the recession in 2008. And uh, we turned that company around and uh, sold it a few, four years later. Uh, And it's when when I sold that business that I decided to retire from the day-to-day CEO job uh, and responsibilities and do consulting and some work with smaller businesses. Then I decided that instead of criticizing all these politicians for what I consider to be many bad policies and bad decisions, maybe I should help the situation and run for office and that's when I decided to run for county commissioner right here in Lake County.
0: Okay, so so tell me a little bit about um, the things that you saw in before you were commissioner, the things in politics, um, whether local or national, that um, that were that were failing failures that you thought, hey, yeah. I can bring this into the commissioner job.
1: Sure. I, it really was a, a matter of philosophy. And I, I used to, obviously, I always read a lot uh, about what was going on in current events and in government. Uh, always had an interest in that. But, you know, I would, you know, it would be, not be unusual for me to be sitting down watching the news you know, any given night and just listening to some of the stuff and thinking, how could they possibly think that's the right way to go? Or what were they thinking when they decided on this policy? And it could range from economics, which was tax policy. I'm a big supply-side economics guy, Uh, and when you think that uh, when people propose that more government spending uh, is going to help out of what we were classically calling recessions back then, uh, the one we're in right now is very, very different and actually required government spending uh, because of the uniqueness here. But in general terms, um, you know, it was generally bad economic policies, uh, bad trade policies, which we're still talking about today, uh, that I just sat back and watched on the news and thought, you know, this is insanity. Um, they know they know this isn't going to work. It's never proven to work. Uh, and certainly anything that would be close to considered socialist policies, uh, I had a natural rejection of because we all know in, as students of history, uh, and there need to be more students of history, that socialism has never, ever worked. It has only made... People's lives uh, more destitute, and has only taken away freedoms. Uh, it has never resulted in what we see here in the United States in a democratic republic, uh, an opportunity for all people to be free, as well as to, uh, you know, make their own economic futures happen by virtue of their own training and their own willingness to take risk and to work hard. Uh,
0: so. I want to ask, as far as these people who, in politics, again, at any level, do you think that they're just, they were just wrong? Do you think that they thought that their philosophies, their policies were correct? Um, Or do you think they were corrupted by, you know, special interests, politics, doing what they think was popular? What's the reason for them being wrong in their policies
1: that's a great question I, I mean there are there are several ways to parse that uh, question and I would I would say I would categorize people in in maybe the following ways first of all there are there are politicians uh, who make their decisions and determine their policy positions on the basis of what is going to put them in the best position for the next office they seek or for re-election Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And so they're reading the polls. They're reading them what they think is the will of the people and where people are focused. And they gravitate toward those positions, not because they think they're the right ones necessarily, but because they believe that will help them get elected or get uh, promoted to a different elected position further up the line. Um, And those are the ones I particularly despise because, you know, I think we're uh, we need to as elected officials We need to make decisions that are the right decisions for the right reason, not as they might relate to the progress or lack thereof of our careers. I think there's a percentage of people, elected officials, who uh, their hearts are in the right place. They just have perhaps grown up with a certain political philosophy or a a belief, uh, you know, let's say against capitalism or very, very... um, Uh, very wary of capitalism because that's of their, because of their family situation. Um, You know, some of that can be solved with education and greater experience levels, but these people, at least in my opinion, are perhaps trying to do the right thing. They just are a little bit misguided. Another category would be those who, who don't like the system uh, that we have here in the United States. And this is really very uh, related to what is going on right now in the United States here in 2020, uh, is you have a segment of the population that does not like the United States. And I think this started with Obama, who went on his apology tour after he was elected, apologizing all around the world for what the United States had done previously in its history that he felt was uh, was inappropriate. Um, and in that, has, that was really, in my opinion, the start of the movement that we see today of not only people disagreeing with the political philosophies or views of democracy that we have in this country, uh, they, they would actively like to work on undoing what we have today. Now, there's no question, Jerry, that, that our country has, has uh, made some bad decisions in the past. We've gotten involved in, uh, in global activities that perhaps we shouldn't have in retrospect. And of course, regrettably, uh, the country was founded with, uh, with the acceptance of slavery for a longer time than it needed to. Uh, but a lot of those ills have been corrected. A lot of those decisions have been undone. And I think that speaks loudly and clearly about the quality of the, re- the Democratic Republic that we have. And those who would like to destroy it and start over again with some socialistic view of government and government's involvement and control of our daily lives—that is where the real danger is today, and that is very active as we speak.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree. So I'm a big fan of um, you may have heard of him, but many, maybe many others haven't. Is Milton Friedman? He's the oh yeah the great. Uh, Nobel winning uh, economist he's deceased but um when I first discovered him years ago um actually on YouTube because many of his old uh, talks and things were um on YouTube and then he has some books and I've read and it's I couldn't I couldn't get enough of them and he was asked a question about you know what is the responsibility of the government to the poor that was a question that he was asked at. A, I think he was spoke at a college, and his answer was, you know, you know, w- the government has no responsibility. People do, you know. People right. are government. The government is only people. You know. They talk about the government should do this or government should do that. Well, the government is only people, and he made the point of saying is, is and there's a famous uh, uh, clip, and you could find it on YouTube if you search his name and and you. A Milton Friedman greed, and where he's asked by Phil Donahue, for those that remember him, <laughs> he uh, yeah, was asked right. about you know you know does isn't capitalism greedy, you know and he just made the point he said what what nation doesn't have greed in it I mean every nation does and to you, the United States and capitalism is about um, economic freedom, and where you have freedom you have capitalism, and every you know the 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 way in which people Throughout history, have gone from having very little, being, i.e., being poor, you know, not having a, a great lot in life, to becoming successful. Whether it's you know the success you've had or my father-in-law, who was a, a successful teacher, you know, the, the United States and capitalism and free trade has never done more to bring up the lowest people in history. There's nothing that is ever. Right done better than capitalism and free markets. Um anyways and the United
1: States has been the most generous country in the history of the world to other countries.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um so so I wanna then um that that's really we could go on and on and on about all this and I definitely will on other other programs, but wanna talk about, you know, the fact that you're of course running for state senate now. Um, if you could maybe give us a real quick, um, what is the area obviously, um, well, not obviously to everybody, but I can't vote for you yet again. i um, like, I couldn't vote in Lake County. I live in um, Medina County. Um, but, um, what is the district that you're covering? And then what do you want? Cause you're going to win. I have no doubt about it, but what are you going to do? What are your maybe two to three main things you want to do in the Senate? Sure.
1: Well, first of all, the the district that I am running for in the Senate is the Senate 18th District. Uh, and uh, it covers um, uh, probably two-thirds of Lake County uh, up in the north. It goes south into uh, probably about two-thirds of Geauga County as well. And then further south to Portage County. And the district includes 100% of Portage County. Cities like Aurora, Streetsboro, Ravenna, etc. Uh, kind of bordering up yeah. against against Akron and Summit County Um, and so you know uh, each district of course has a senator and there are 33 senators uh, in the in the Senate the Republicans have had the majority for about uh, 35 years and I don't expect that to change anytime soon Uh, and so the reason I decided to run for the Senate is I was not considering it at all it never even really hit my radar uh, I enjoyed being a county commissioner. I think I've accomplished a great deal and I was looking forward to accomplishing more. But I was approached by a, a number of different groups uh, and they informed me that Senator John Eklund, who is term limited and cannot run again this November, uh, that uh, they wanted, to, wanted me to consider uh, running for his, for his seat. And John's done a great job. Uh, he'll be a great guy to follow in the Senate. Uh, and um, the reason I decided to do it was because as a county commissioner, there, there's a lot of great things that you can do policy-wise, but we're really kind of a quasi-legislative uh, group. Uh, the Ohio Revised Code very clearly specifies what commissioners can and cannot do. Now, you can use the power and authority of your office to accomplish things that are not outlined in code, but you can't pass bills, you can't do things that, that are major policy issues. Uh, and really what would turn my, my head um, you know, to the Senate was the ability to really, with a fairly small group of people, uh, influence uh, policy decisions and determine uh, and develop new legislation that is going to be good, not only for the community in the 18th district, but also for the state of Ohio, which I have, and you have spent, we've spent our whole lives here. And uh, I want to make sure that Ohio is a great place to live in the future, uh, particularly now uh, that that we're in a, in a position of having to rebuild the Ohio economy. You know, a year ago, a little over a year ago, when I announced I was running for the Senate, I was told that, uh, gee, you know, my, that my business and background and background as a county commissioner would be a great combination to keep Ohio moving in the right economic direction. Uh, that was when the economy was humming along beautifully. Mm-hmm. Now that we're in a very different situation, uh, I think it's even more critical that we have people in Columbus uh, in all, as many positions as possible who have had some actual business experience and understand uh, you know, what it's like to make a payroll, what it's like to, uh, to have a bank loan go south or to be threatened to go south, uh, what it's like to have to worry about all the things that business owners have to worry about, uh, and, to, and particularly when approaching regulations, which need to be reined in for sure. Um, you know, I've been the subject of many regulations throughout the years. In my medical career, uh, which, which is over 35 years, I, I dealt with the FDA. And I can tell you that there's no tougher agency than the FDA, not even the IRS.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so I understand, and we need regulations, certainly, for many things to protect the population. But there are too many regulations out there. Uh, people in Washington who have never worked a day except in the bureaucracy Uh, who came there right out of school get get incentivized to write more and more regulations right and they don't realize or maybe they do realize that this is tying the hands of people who are putting capital to work putting capital at risk and who actually employ the people in our economy that makes our economy work
0: yep yeah no i agree other um um, that, that kind of takes me into the last portion that I want to talk about and it is sort of sort of bigger picture stuff. and um, one of the things that you hear a lot of, and I think it's from uh, a lot of our millennial friends um, who plenty are good. My siblings are some of my siblings are are millennials. but um, it is is the whole notion of of the bigger government, you know, thinking that the bigger government solves all the problems, tax, the rich tax corporations um you know again going back to milton friedman milton friedman said you know there, there is no such thing as a corporation it's just a piece of paper it's only people right so corporations right. don't right. pay taxes only people do right so you know the, the whole notion of of raise taxes on all these people raise taxes on businesses um and that'll pay for everything which our millennial friends are looking for their college to be paid for um, what's you know if you if you had a millennial that said why what's wrong with that what's wrong with raising taxes on corporate rich corporations that are making profits and rich people um, what's wrong with that?
1: Well, gosh, we could talk for two hours about right? that one. but, yeah. but I, I will tell you, I'm very concerned about millennials in general, and this is I don't mean to paint everybody with the same broad brush, but look, um, a lot of these folks, these these millennials that are that are rioting and demonstrating now, um, and and. They have a socialist bent to their, yep. their beliefs, and I think they expect the government to provide a lot of things for them, and I don't know if it's related to their background or if they got too many participation awards in Little League uh, that, that got them spoiled uh, to all the things that they've been blessed with, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, the, to have a strong economy, you've got to have workforce participation you got to have people taking risk. People have to have capital available to put at risk. And if you're taxed to an extreme, as we have been in the past, and this is demonstrated in other countries, if you're taxed to an extreme and the tax rate on your marginal dollar of income that you had to work harder for is so high, it ends up being a disincentive for people to put capital at risk and to make that additional expansion of their company or to enter a new market or develop a new product. I mean that's right. just basics and you don't have to be an economist or a rocket scientist to understand that. What millennials are expecting is a lot of free stuff and they are falling this stuff will never happen by the way. They're right. they're right. they're what they're doing is they're believing the lies that the politicians on the left the extreme socialist progressives are telling them. That they're going to get guaranteed income, free college, their loans forgiven, forgiven, free college in the future, um, that their kids are going to get free college, uh, and you know every other giveaway you can possibly come up with. Well, number one, even the politicians telling those lies don't believe that stuff's ever going to happen. But they want their they want the votes of the millennials who are buying into this lunacy. It just simply right. simply can't happen here. And and if you look at going back to the previous discussion that we had uh, and this relates to millennials, which is why I bring it up, is this whole business going on right now with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and and other organizations, you know, I think, I think these organizations, and again, there may be some people in Black Lives Matter whose hearts are in the right place, but they're being misled and they're being lied to. Uh, Black Lives Matter is based on a lie, pure and simple they do not care about all black lives. They're forgetting two very important categories of black people in this country. Uh, one is the business people who have been successful and whose, many of whose businesses and properties were destroyed during these riots in the very neighborhoods where the rioters lived, Right, uh, many of them. And then you have the other category, which is outrageous genocide, uh, which is, which is the, the destruction of black unborn children that is highly disproportionate to the percentage of black people in the U.S. population. Roughly 75% of the abortions performed mostly by Planned Parenthood in this country are done on black babies, and uh, which is basically eugenics, which is what the founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, Margaret Sanger, she was the founder of eugenics in the United States. Um, they target urban poor neighborhoods. There's a reason right. for that. they're not trying to make health services available they're trying to do what margaret sanger if anybody doesn't doesn't believe me research margaret sanger and you will see that she wanted to rid the population of people that were poor uh you know underdeveloped mentally in her words uh and who are basically a drag on society she wanted to get rid of them through the process called eugenics and so black lives matter has in my view no legitimacy because They're skipping two very large categories, and the reason they won't challenge the abortion question, Jerry, is because they want to, uh, they don't want to go up against the far left, uh, the white liberals uh, who who worship at the altar of abortion, and they know better than to take up that issue. But if they really cared about black lives, they would be all over this issue and actually focusing on the destruction of Planned Parenthood as an organization.
0: Yep, no, that's it's um, it's it's good. I'm actually gonna um, you're gonna be talking about that in a in another couple of episodes actually, and I'm gonna have uh, someone who you know, uh, Pastor Moss, who's involved in the yeah. the, the Cleveland Right Walter to Life. Moss. Yeah, he's he mm-hmm. agreed to uh, uh, have me interview him, uh, and I'm gonna have that coming up soon to talk about that specifically, um, and and everything. I I think you know just to comment briefly on the whole Black Lives Matter. I think everyone agrees Black Lives Matter. Um, I think the organization, if people really dug deep into the actual organization, has been taken over by radical leftists and, and has really s- sort of subjugated a, a fairly noble uh, sentiment that black lives do matter. Um, but the pro-life movement is the original black lives matter, if you think about it. Um, right. But uh, I want to go, you know, lastly here, just in the net, another couple minutes and just talk about, um, expand a little bit on the government Sort of control and government um, providing, you know, as uh, we talked about millennials, free college and free this. I heard a couple things. One is that if you took all the things that say Alexandria Ocasio Cortez wanted, you know, to pay for, and you taxed all the wealthiest people, not only a higher tax rate, but took literally every penny that they have, right? It wouldn't even cover all these things that they want, and that that's ta- That's not just taxing. That's taking. Every penny that they own.
1: Yeah, it's income usurpation.
0: Yeah, it's not possible. But the other thing that's interesting to me and, and why I get frustrated at all these politics is that I, I think about something like, let's take healthcare, right? And, you know, the, all these claims that have been going out since Obamacare that, you know, you know we need Obamacare. We need Obamacare. People are going without health care. But, you know, and as well as I do, that no one goes without health care. It's never existed, essentially, right? right? Everyone, if you don't have a penny in your pocket, you can go to the ER and get taken care of to the same level that I could. Um, But what's interesting to me is, you know, how easily would it be for Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and you look at how many millions Obama is making now that he's out of the presidency and the Clintons made $100 million and all these Hollywood people who are massively rich... If they really wanted health care for everybody, couldn't they just form their own nonprofit and donate all this money and tell people, if you don't have health care or health insurance, come to us and we'll give it to you, right? Right. If they wanted to.
1: Right, and we could let them deduct it as a business expense. Yeah. Congress would do
0: that. Yeah, they could do it tomorrow. You know, they could have done it tomorrow. Same thing with college. You know, set up a fund and all you wealthy people give all your money. And and let people sign up and say, okay, yeah, I'll take your scholarship. But they don't do it. They have they have lawyers and accountants that do everything they can, which they should to limit their taxes. They could you know, Warren Buffett is upset that he pays the same tax rate as his secretary, even though he pays more in taxes. But well, he pays well, capital gains, he right? Pays capital gains, not income tax. Exactly, but it's still—I mean—there's nothing that has ever stopped Warren Buffett from writing a check to the IRS for more money, <laughs> but he doesn't right. do it. No, in fact, so,
1: I was just reading something where my opponent uh, in a Senate race, uh, when she ran for Congress against Dave Joyce, and uh, he managed to dispose of her pretty neatly. Uh, she was uh, railing against, and she still does rail against the uh, the Trump tax cuts of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm sorry, of 2017. And, um, you know, my question for her is, well, okay, um, I actually have a lot of background on my opponent, and she has investments with some of the largest investment companies in the world. Uh, and, I, you know, if you don't like the tax plan, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask her, did you, did you pay the old higher capital gains rate
0: right, when right. you filed your taxes? Right.
1: Did you pay the old and higher personal income tax rates? There's nothing to prevent you from doing that. Right. If you think this tax, the tax bill that, that uh, was pushed through Congress in, in 17 was immoral, then if you really believe that, then it was immoral for you to take advantage of it and file with the lower tax rates. Right. But, of course, you know what the answer is going to be. Right. You know, Well, it was the law at the time. Well, right. that, doesn't, that doesn't excuse them from this. I want to comment on Ocasio-Cortez. For a second, Jerry. Okay. Um, you know, she wrote the Green New Deal. I'm not sure she wrote it. I'm not sure she could even read it. But if you if you read that, and I would encourage anybody listening to um, to go and read this on the internet. Uh, it reads like a very poorly done eighth grade term paper. In uh, mm-hmm. in the majority of it, does not even cover anything green. It's social redistribution of our economy. It's it's a nationalization of the banks, insurance companies, and energy companies. Uh, it it would cost trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to do it, even if we wanted to do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and it is it and yet it has been adopted and supported by highly educated people who ought to know better. Uh, right. And it's 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 absolutely absurd. And we can't let anybody who thinks that the New Green Deal is worth more than Something for the if you have a dog um, uh, uh uh to utilize the paper for that 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 it, it's it's absurd it is not it is so intellectually deficient I can't even begin to describe
0: it well i think it I always look and say you know don't look at what people say, look at what they do, and you have all these these leftists who you know like al Gore um you know it, it all this reminds me and we can talk about this topic for hours and that is the whole global warming but we won't um you know you have all these people that that believe it's the greatest threat to the world yet you know leonardo dicaprio will take his private jet from paris to new york to pick up an award for his work on climate change and then fly back and you know they own eight homes and they do all these things and you know yet if it's the threat it is you know why don't they live a little differently, but they don't. And just right. like they well, don't not pay only taxes. On global,
1: not only on global warming, Jerry, but on as it comes to, um, you know, if you look at back to our discussion earlier on capitalism, you know, the, the biggest, most vocal critics of capitalism, meaning Hollywood typically, are the very people who have benefited the most from right. capitalism. Right. Okay. And the ones who railed against the wall on our southern border – have walls around their homes in Beverly Hills. Right. Um, it's just it's just so duplicitous. Uh, Al Gore. I mean, you know, the guy never met a cheeseburger he didn't like, uh, and he is you know he's got eight homes. He's uh, benefited from capitalism. He's got several corporate jets. Um, he does not practice what he preaches. And unfortunately, they've got uh, the media hypnotized, yeah. and many of their followers hypnotized. We cannot let them take control of the culture of the United States of America.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I th- it's um I think uh the media is probably our biggest enemy in my opinion. It's uh, it's pretty disgusting and I've seen it you know people think that oh it's just Trump that is pointing this out. People have believed this for many many years. Um oh, yeah. I have too. And you know the last thing I'll say just as far as the sort of hypocrisy is you know I remember Obama I believe it was in a debate when he was first running he was given a stat by the moderator, and he said, you know, we, there's evidence, and there's lots of evidence, that if you lower marginal tax rates, right, meaning just the rate, right. that you actually bring in more tax revenue because it spurs right. job growth, it, it spurs investment, and so more money comes into the government. And, he, and the a moderator asked, said, well, isn't that a great argument that you get what you want? You get more tax revenue, but you lower tax rates. And his answer was, and we could find it on YouTube easily, was, well, it's about fairness,
1: right? <laughs> you which know? is which is ridiculous. I mean, if if you look at the, my second favorite economist after Milton Friedman is Arthur Laffer, Art Laffer, uh, who was the he was the really the the founder of supply side economics, mm-hmm. and he was the one who guided Ronald Reagan when he was president for his 1986 Tax Reform Act, uh, and and that is his philosophy that if you take money out of people's hands in high taxes that's money that is not get invested in the in the community and into into businesses if you free them up from those tax rates that money not only is it does it create a positive outcome in the the year that it's it's been um, released because it's invested it has years and years and years of benefits in our economy to sustain growth uh it's a no-brainer how an economist Coming from any university, could could not see that and not understand that um, is is hard to uh, hard to fathom. But it's a testimony to the problems that we have in our colleges and universities that are so anti First Amendment and so intolerant of alternative opinions uh, that um, that this is is now seeing with these millennials who yep. have been poorly educated.
0: Yep, yep, I agree. I couldn't agree more. So. Um, good. Well, okay. Well, that takes us to the end of the episode. Um, I want to uh, thank you. I really appreciate, uh, you didn't call me Jay once. I was expecting you to, and then having to explain <laughs> that my family and close friends, uh, mostly call me Jay. Um, hearing you call me Jerry is actually kind of weird, but, um, but you did it. <laughs> so, um, but thanks so much for being on. Um you'd love to I wanna uh again I said I was gonna release three of these in a row and then from there try to release one uh once a week. And um I'd love I want you to obviously come back another time and there's a lot we can talk about and uh I appreciate you coming on.
1: I'll be be happy to come back and I think this is a great idea, uh, this podcast and uh I, I know that uh, Reverend Moss is going to give you a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, he's a great guy and yeah. um he uh, he's very passionate about what he believes in and he's a voice crying in the wilderness of the black community. Yeah. Unfortunately.
0: I so well I told him he had to have his wife on too cuz she's she's great too. But um Yeah, she had, yeah, they both are. <laughs> but yeah, yeah thanks absolutely. again for being on not that you had much of a choice, but um, <laughs> my pleasure, Jerry. Good luck yeah. with this. All right, thanks so much. Okay. All bye. right. Bye.